I have encountered some people in my life who have learned to listen and obey the Holy Spirit. When I was a sophomore at Wheaton College, I showed up, I wrote the check for the first semester tuition, and I was bankrupt. And I I prayed, oh God, I need some more bucks, I need some money, I need some money. And one of the floor mates on my floor felt prompted by the Spirit without talking to me to write me a check for $500 and slip it under my dorm room door. That was half of what he had in his bank account. And so I opened that check, I opened that envelope, and you know what I'm thinking? God, you're amazing. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for providing for me. One day, a long time ago, back in the day when I was an executive pastor, pastors have these kind of days, I was having one of those days where I was saying to myself, self, you need to quit being a pastor. This is hard work. This is, what do you think you're doing? You're not doing anything for God anyway. Just pack it up and give up and, and, and free up your Sundays. Imagine what it would be like to have like a couple of days off every week. I know some of you are like, amen, sign me up, okay? But I was having those thoughts. And when I went to get the mail that day, there was a letter from a couple that had kind of wandered into the church and their marriage was on the rocks. Neither of them uh, had, a, had an engaged relationship with Jesus. And, on go, and his, so here's the letter. Hey, Pastor Max, I know we moved. I know it's been a while since we've seen you. But you know what? We just wanted to stop and say thank you. Not only are we born again, not only do we have the spirit in us, but our marriage is in a better place than it was when we showed up at the door. And you know what? We didn't think the husband... We didn't think he would really step up the game and get involved because the kids are my kids, not his kids. And you know what? He's done that and then some. Thank you for being Jesus for us. Da, 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 da. So I, I tucked that letter away in my rainy day file. And you know what? Obviously, I didn't quit. What a coincidence, right? No, those things aren't coincidences. And those people didn't just have a gut feeling or they weren't responding to intuition. There have been times in my life where it's, the, it's been the turnaround situation, and I've been the one. I've felt prompted by the Spirit. I remember once I felt prompted by the Spirit to put $100 cash in an envelope and mail it off to this, this couple, young couple. I didn't think a thing about it. It was extra. It was like, I just felt a prompting. I wrote it in the envelope. And the weird thing, is, I did it anonymously. So the weird thing is, next Sunday at church, they're like, we didn't have money for groceries and we were desperate and we were crying out to God and then this envelope comes in the mail and it's got $100 and it was exactly what we needed. And I'm thinking, whoa. You know, what if I hadn't sent that letter off? What if I hadn't heard the prompting of the Spirit, okay? And then there have been times when I've written the notes. I've been the one to just, somebody's on my heart, somebody's on my mind and I write a note. And then later on, days later, a week later, they're, they're like, man, you, you have no idea I was discouraged that day. I was thinking of walking away. Was, boom. And, you know, it's a tear thing for them. And for me, it was like a no big deal. Oh, the Spirit prompted me to do this, and I'll just do it. Coincidence? No. No way is that stuff a coincidence. Francis Chan and A.W. Tozer are right. Here's what they claim. They claim that a few nutty Christians in America have ruined the Holy Spirit for everyone else. Seriously, don't you know some people in your life who are just nutty? They love Jesus, but they're nutty. And they come to you with nutty Jesus things, nutty spirit things. You know, Brian, I just, the Lord told me 
we all need to stop eating baked beans. And you think to yourself, what? You know, I know there's some practical reasons for not eating baked beans, okay? But, you know, especially if you're going to go on an eight-hour car trip. But come on, really? The Lord told you that? I mean, come on. And they just have nutty stuff. When Jenny and I were dating, one of my friends, bless his heart, came to me and said, the Lord has told me you shouldn't marry Jenny. My son's here today. Hey, John, what if I had listened to that guy from Wheaton? <laughs> you wouldn't be here. <laughs> I mean, come on. And Jenny and I, we, we entered the marriage. We had conducted ourselves right. We had sought wise counsel. We knew where the moral boundary line was, and we didn't cross it. And yet, he, the Lord told him, no. Silly, nutty, and a few nutty Christians have made it so the rest of us in America, we, we talk about God the Father, we want to follow Jesus, and oh yeah, there's that spirit thing. Mm-hmm. We'll leave that to the Charismatics and Pentecostals. <sighs> Lord, bless their hearts. Okay? Well, I want to wade into that, and I want to wade into the spirit. I think we have a huge problem in America when we make Christianity out to be a spiritless Christianity. It's why the average church is no different than the average business. And it's why the average Christian is no different than the average non-Christian. It's why so many people in America wonder if Christianity is really different than anything else because it's lacking the presence and power of the Spirit. To put it another way, the Bible says that you and I, that every human being is made up of body, in spirit. If I take your spirit out of your body, what's left? A corpse, right? If I take your spirit out of your body, what's left is a corpse. And that same thing is true of the body of Christ. Spiritless Christianity is lifeless Christianity. But it doesn't have to be this way. Now, there are some people, I'm going to talk about some technical things for a minute, and then we're going to get back into the flow. But there are some people in America who say, you know what? The material universe is all there is. All that's real about reality is anything that's physical or material. They're called materialistic naturalists. And they would say to you, you know those thoughts you have in your brain? That's just electrical impulses. It's all it is, nothing more. You're like, yeah, but those thoughts had me love my wife. No, 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 no such thing as love. It's just electrical impulses. Your body's responding. And to that, I say, no, 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 no. There is another mode of reality. It's the spirit mode. There's another type of existence, and it's the spirit. And that is every bit as real as this Bible or this gym. Now, material objects, there are some things that are true about them. They have weight. This Bible weighs something. It's subject to gravity. Okay? Uh, It has dimensions. Just yesterday, for Grandma, I measured the dimensions of Jillian's window. It's 83 and a quarter inches all the way to the bottom. I can measure it. Material objects have a shape. Some of us do that thing in the mirror where we're looking at the shape and we go, ah! Okay? But it has a shape, right? And those are things that are true about material objects. But the spirit, the spirit is different. Spirit can penetrate material things and non-material things. Your spirit penetrates and fills your whole body, if you think about it. And so here's why this is important. Jesus said at the very end of his ministry, 
I'm going to give you something. Actually, I'm going to send you someone. And that someone, that someone is the Spirit. And this is what he said in John chapter 16, verse 2. I want to read this to you. John 16, verse 7, sorry. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. What? Yeah, Jesus is saying this. It's better that I leave and I'm not with you anymore. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Advocate is another word used for the Spirit. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So Jesus is making a very bold claim. He's saying, you're actually better off not having me around. I know most of us, again, American Christians, we would go, what? That's crazy talk. Of course we'd be better off having you, Jesus. I'll even let you sit in the front seat with me. Come on. You don't even have to ride in the back. You know, we'll be, you can be my co-pilot, and I'll put a license plate on the front of my car, and it'll be awesome, okay? Right? No, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Spirit is better. So let's get into this. And this is the book of Acts, the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus is saying this right before, he, uh, right before he leaves. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not, far, not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem for a gift. And it's Pentecost, which originally among the Jews was kind of like an agricultural celebration. And they would talk about harvest and first fruits. By the time it gets to this time period of Acts chapter 1, it's more about the giving of the Torah to Israel. But it's a celebration, all right? And Jesus tells his friends and his disciples, wait, don't go anywhere. Wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It's not a literal wind. It's not like some guy outside going, okay? Luke is having a dickens of a time trying to use words to describe what happened. And so the words he uses are, it's like a wind, a thunderstorm, and it's like tongues of fire, that's not literally what it was. He's just trying to describe this almost impossibly hard thing to put into words. All right? And the, the wind gets everybody's attention. And the tongues of uh, fire are an act of the Holy Spirit's power. But the kicker is verse 4 where it says, Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And an obvious sign of that is that they start speaking in all these other languages that all these other people can understand. Right? 
16 different people groups or cultures are mapped out in verses 7 and following. 16 different parts of the world and languages represented. And all of a sudden, these people can hear these Jews from Galilee talking in their own language. And they're like, what is going on? This is the strangest thing. This is weird. Okay? After this chapter, after chapter 2, in the rest of the book of Acts, you don't, you don't hear the phrase or read the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. What you read and what you find are things like receive the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit comes upon. Right? The language changes a little bit, but they're all talking about the same thing. The ability of the Spirit to penetrate a person and fill that person with the Spirit's presence. And that's an amazing thing if you think about it. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. I know some of you are into Star Wars. I'm kind of into Star Wars, you know. Occasionally when Isaiah and I are swapping swapping pastor stories and all kinds of things, we'll talk about being, you know, okay, Star Wars type analogies because we fight the forces of darkness for good. At least we like to think so, okay? But the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, And because the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit can think, the Holy Spirit can hear, the Holy Spirit can desire, just like any other person. The Holy Spirit has an intelligence, the Holy Spirit has feelings, the Holy Spirit has knowledge and sympathy, and the Holy Spirit has the ability to love and care, because the Holy Spirit is a person. Now let's go down to verse 12. They stood there amazed and perplexed. This is the crowd. What can this mean, they asked each other. Verse 13, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, "Ah, they're just drunk, that's all. Again, there's something powerful, and it's a what is going on kind of a moment for the crowd. And Peter launches into this big speech, and I'm not going to go through the whole speech because it's long, right? And he talks about Joel, and he mentions these passages from Joel, and he's saying, hey, God said this was going to happen. God said the day was going to come when he was actually going to live inside of his people. This is a big deal. And then he talks about Jesus is kind of a forerunner for this. And Jesus' resurrection is kind of like the kickoff that signifies it's now. It's not just in the future. It's not just someday. It's right now. It's God is doing that thing that he talked about long ago right now. He's actually going to live inside of the people that he made which is different than the way he did it before. And so it's an amazing, amazing speech. And in verse 37, Peter's words, the Bible says, pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Their hearts were cut. They were convicted. Again, that's the power of the Spirit in that verse right there that was convicting them on the inside. In verse 38, Peter says this, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, (laughs) strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He uses the word repent here. You don't find the word believe, but any time in the book of Acts you see one of those words, you need to think of the other. Repent and believe, they're always together. It's like salt and pepper. 
Later on in Acts, in Acts 16.31, you, you see the word believe, but anyone familiar with Peter and how he rolled and how the early church talked and spoke about how the spirit moved knew it was repent and believe. Again, salt and pepper, they come together. Right? The Holy Spirit is given to anyone who's been born again. Right? And so I want to unpack this a little bit. For the rest of the book of Acts, you find the Holy Spirit prompting, leading, guiding, encouraging, doing all these things on the inside of people. Imagine that for a minute. I mean, imagine your own life for a minute. What if on a daily, regular, weekly, consistent basis, the God of the universe was in you, prompting, leading, encouraging, guiding, sustaining, providing? Whoa, I'd sign me up for that, okay? In Acts 8... The Holy Spirit prompts Philip to speak to an Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 10, the Holy Spirit prompts Peter to go to Cornelius' house. In Acts 15, the Holy Spirit guides the Jerusalem council in what they're supposed to do. In Acts 16, the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of pulls the reins on Paul and says, hey, don't go to Bithynia. So the Holy Spirit's active and working all throughout the rest of the book of Acts, which leads me to this question. When was the last time you undeniably saw the Holy Spirit at work in or around you. When was the last time you saw the Holy Spirit undeniably at work in or around you? If it's been a while, for those of you that are Christians and disciples, or if it's the case that what I'm talking about today is like, whoa, this is the first time, let me ask a couple other questions. Would you be willing today to accept the existence of the Spirit? Would you be willing to concede that, yep, reality is made up of matter and then spirit? Got it. Yep, I can, that, I'm, I'm open to that. And then secondly, would you commit to learn all you can about the spirit and who he is and what he does? And so here's a couple of, here's some homework assignments. If, if it's been a while, the first step when it's been a while for me, I repent And I basically say to God, hey, God, I'm sorry that I've neglected you. I'm sorry that I've neglected you, your spirit that you want to give me and fill me. I'm sorry. So repentance is a good place to start. And then I thank God for the gift of the spirit that's available to me, right? But the key is to make a commitment to learn all you can and and to start with scripture, all right? Here's why this is important. I believe that a spiritless Christianity is a lifeless Christianity. And let's face it, there's a lot of that in America right now, which is weird because if you go to like China or parts of South America or other parts of the world, you encounter a totally different kind of Christianity, one in which the Spirit is speaking regularly and people are listening to the promptings. And the stuff that I talked about at the beginning... Somebody has a need and then the Spirit prompts one, another person to do something about it, send them a check in the mail or whatever it is, and boom, all of a sudden, all of the believers are like, yes, I can count on God. God is awesome. God's at work in my life, and I can count on Him, all right? The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives power. The Spirit gives guidance. The Spirit gives direction. The Spirit gives assurance. The Spirit gives encouragement. Could you use some of that? I bet you could, and it's available to you. Why would you tackle any given day in your own power? Think about it. You wake up, 
I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get through today. I'm just gonna suck it up and push on. You get to work and I'm just gonna, really? Come on. Wouldn't you rather have the spirit at work in you, prompting you, warning you, helping you? I really believe that a lot of times the Christian's ability to forgive, the Christian's ability to love, the Christian's ability to be generous is all linked to the activity of the Spirit on the inside. Because if you think about it, in our natural element, we're kind of selfish and we get angry and we get stressed out. That's natural. That's normal. That's what everybody does. I don't want to be normal. Do you? All right? This Easter, this Pentecost, I want you to be aware that the person Jesus sent to you is better than having Jesus himself. All right, I come back to that promise that Jesus made. In other words, what Jesus is saying to you and me is this. I know you think it would be awesome if like when you woke up in the morning, you could be sitting at the table with your cup of coffee and I would be like across the table from you. And you could say to me, hey, Jesus, you know, I'm really struggling with this thing with my mom or da, 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 da. Or, hey, Jesus, you know, I don't understand how's come we just can't seem to get out of debt. Or, oh, Jesus, please do something about my boss. Please call them to the mission field. Promote them to Cleveland. You know, God, you've had those prayers, okay? And if Jesus could, and Jesus is saying, you think that if when you get in the car and you go to work, if, if I were in the seat next to you, your life would be so much better. And you would be so put together in your walk of faith and your spiritual life would be in order if I could just hang out with you. And in that verse, what he's saying is, uh-uh. You're actually better off with me inside you. You're actually going to have a better capacity to have faith. You're going to have a better capacity to love and forgive and be generous and all of the things that are talked about in the Bible with me, with the Holy Spirit in you. And that's what I want for you this Easter season is more of him in you. Because I don't think you can go wrong with that. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how that works. And we're going to talk about some practical things.